Let's begin. Is it scripture or is it tradition? You don't have to answer out loud. I just want you to think in your minds for a moment. You know, it's a sobering thought to me that the Eastern astrologers who were paying attention to what was going on were more in tune with the signs in heaven than the religious experts of Jesus' day. The religious experts, they were in it all the time, and yet they missed the Messiah. So we've heard the, we've heard the Christmas story a lot of times, so let's just see how well we do with this little quiz. Dates and mates will be our topic for this morning's quiz. For the journey to Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph, A, walked. B, Joseph walked, Mary rode a donkey. C, rode a bus. D, just threw that in. D, who knows? You can tabulate your answers at this time. The answer is... D, the Bible gives us no record as for their means of travel. Ooh, we just shot holes in some beautiful Christmas pageants, didn't we? It's okay, because we don't know. When Mary became pregnant, Mary and Joseph were A, married, B, just friends, C, engaged, D, none of the above. Not quite certain how that could be, but maybe. The answer is C. Matthew 1, 18 tells us that they were espoused. They were engaged. Third question. When Mary became pregnant, Joseph, A, Joseph married her. B, Joseph wanted to dissolve their relationship. C, Mary left Nazareth for a while. D, an angel told them to go to Bethlehem. E, both B and C. Now I'm really confusing you, aren't I? F, both B and D. You say, I don't remember what A, B, and C were. <laughs> well, the answer is B and C. Joseph wanted to dissolve their relationship. And C, Mary left Nazareth for a while. As I was going through this stuff this week, I've got to admit... There were times when I was guilty of having a photo album of Jesus' birth rather than a timeline of Jesus' birth. I don't know if any of you can find yourself in that same situation. Maybe you weren't as much snapshots and maybe you were a better timeline. Fourth question. Christmas has always been observed, A, on December 25th, B, on January 17th, C, at Grandma's house, D, none of the above. And D is the answer, none of the above. December 25th was selected late in the 4th century to celebrate Christ's birth. Well, you can see how well you did this morning. We won't go longer, but it's kind of disappointing because if you missed one, you know what kind of grade you got. And if you missed two, welcome. We're glad to have you here this morning. So let's pray together. Our Father, we love you. We're thankful to be together in your house to sing praises to your name. But we're especially thankful today that we can worship Jesus Christ. We're thankful today that we can read your word 
that we can know more about Jesus, that we can know more of how you work in our lives. And I pray that today would be a time of blessing, a time of encouragement. I pray that today would be a day that if someone today has never, has never personally received Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today they would receive that gift of eternal life, of a restored relationship with you. I need your help this morning. I need the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through me. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in this service. And so we just ask, knowing that you delight to show yourself strong to those who are weak. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If I were to ask you the main characters of the Christmas story, the Christmas event, you would probably say, well, Jesus. Maybe Mary and Joseph, the wise men, shepherds, King Herod, Caesar Augustus, Angels, Simeon, Anna, Lord willing, today and tomorrow and next Sunday, we're going to look at a couple of the characters of Christmas and think about these individuals. Because you see, the characters in Christmas, again, if we can move out of our photo album and move into a timeline, we're reminded these are people. Let me repeat that. They're just people. People like you. People like me. I've got to admit, this week as I was reading and then rereading and then rereading and rereading some of these texts, and I was reading several of the different authors that had written about these people, there was a time in the week where I actually found myself very discouraged. Discouraged because sometimes what we think God is going to do and we think the way God is going to work is not the way God works. And so this morning as we study these, I, I hope you will let the text get past the glass windows in your life and you'll actually interact with these and not just stare at them. And you'll let yourself think about Mary. We're going to look at the life of Mary this morning and see what we can learn from her. I want us to really think about what does the Bible tell us about Mary? Who were her parents? Can we find that out? What was her childhood like? Did she have any additional children? How many of you grew up in a religious environment where you were taught that Mary was someone who could help you get to Christ, that Mary was someone who could um, be an intermediary for you? Did any of you grow up in that kind of environment? Okay. I think a number of you maybe have. I'm going to read because I've never been there and I've really tried to research it to see if what this person says is true, and I could only go so far. So I'll just tell you, I'm reading from an author. He, he was a pastor. 
He was a correspondence teacher at Moody Bible Institute. He is uh, a well-known author. His name is John Phillips. And so I'm going to read just a section that John Phillips wrote because I think it's very important, and I don't think I could do it as quickly as what he will. He says, some years ago, he went to Vichy, France, and he visited a Roman Catholic church there known as the Church of Our Lady of Healing. It's a church dedicated to Mary. Its dominant feature is the black statue of the Virgin. It's made out of wood. It, I believe it's made out of walnut. Uh, this black statue is paraded through Vichy with the due pomp and ceremony at certain times of the year. The most unforgettable sight, he said, in that church, however, is the painting high up in the dome. In that painting, Christ is in the shadows. The foreground of the picture, dominating everything, is Mary. The picture is so painted that when the sunbeams strike it through the stained glass windows, her whole robe lights up. She stands triumphant, trampling on the serpent. Christ himself occupies a lesser and minor position. Underneath the Virgin, at the base of the dome, is the text, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But then, in letters that dwarf the Bible text, is the true message of Rome. A quotation from St. Bernard, It is God's will that we receive all things through Mary. He goes on to say, Let it be said right from the start that the Bible knows no such dogma or doctrine. That is Romanish doctrine, pure and simple. The worship of Mary first began to develop in the Church of Rome, and this was interesting to me, in 432, so 400 years about after the death of Mary. Feasts in her honor became, in, became uh, popular in 650. The first Ave Marias were introduced in 1316, and the doctrine concerning the Immaculate Conception of Mary, in other words, that Mary was born sinless, was not introduced until 1854. The doctrine of her presence in heaven, her bodily presence in heaven, was proclaimed by Pope Pius in 1950. I mention all that because there are lots of ideas out there about Mary. And what I want you to see this morning is the Bible says Mary is blessed. But the Bible also tells us many things about Mary which are really important for us. And I believe at the end of this, it won't just be a theology session for you. What I do believe this is going to do is I believe when we're done, you'll be encouraged. And probably, I know at least in my life, I was very challenged. And that's my, that's my prayer for us today. Let's look at Mary's background for just a moment. Mary's name comes from the name of Miriam, and it means bitterness or sorrow. I never think of Mary as being bitter or sorrowful. Yet, as we're going to be seeing in our study on Wednesday night, as we continue in Luke chapter 2, we're going to learn that Mary's life was foretold that she would have lots of bitterness and sorrow in her life. And her name matches exactly 
what God's plan was for her. That's in Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. And I guess I just want to mention this morning, along with blessings and opportunity, always comes heartache and sorrow. And we just need to understand that. Because when we receive God's blessings and we see what God has done for us, and we're reaching into a world around us, we're going to have a lot of sorrow. We're going to be misunderstood. And we're going to have issues come into our life. And we just need to know that with blessings and opportunities, the Apostle Paul said it this way, I see a great door of opportunity. And what did he say? There are many adversaries. And we just know that in our lives. And if we're aware of that, it's usually... This is not a biblical term, but it's the unknowns that eat our lunch. It's the things that we don't know that bother us most. The things that we do know, we deal with. So we look at Mary and we think of the incredible honor she received to be the mother of Jesus. Yet, in a moment, we're going to notice some of the heartache she had. All right, Mary, we do know she was uh, of the tribe of Judah, of the line of David. If you look at Luke chapter 3, verse 23... There we see her dad's name was Heli. Now you realize here it says um, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. But Joseph was the son-in-law. Matthew tells us who Joseph's dad was. Um, Mary lived in Nazareth, a city in Galilee. Now, if you were to look at a map of Israel, if we were to look up, all right, so you've got Jerusalem, which is going to be down here, although it's up on a mountain range. Therefore, it always talks about going up to Jerusalem, but really Jerusalem was down from a lot of Israel. Up here, you've got the Sea of Galilee, and then you've got the Jordan River, and it comes all the way down and then ends up down here in the Dead Sea. Okay, so I kind of have to have a picture of it. Over here is the Mediterranean Sea. Um, up here is Turkey. So you've got Turkey, Mediterranean Sea. Israel's right here. And Mary is from Nazareth, which is up in the northern part of Israel. And it was not a wealthy town. It was not a town that was well looked upon. Um, but we really don't know anything more about her background. So whatever we've been told, it would be from other sources. And I believe the Bible told us just what God wanted us to know about Mary, and he left a lot of things out about Mary on purpose. We know that Mary was engaged to a man. Now, a girl that's engaged is usually very excited about what's going on, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of excitement between husband and wife, between fiancé and as, as they're planning a wedding, as they're thinking about a wedding. Well, in Jewish culture, there was a year, a year where they would be, um, they would pledge, they would be engaged, but that year was to make sure that she was pure. They were already engaged, and um, we find from our text this morning in Luke chapter 1. 
you to turn back to that with me. We read, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, the sixth month is talking about Elizabeth, her relative. Was it her aunt? Was it her cousin? Yeah, it, we know it was a relative. And in that sixth month, so Elizabeth now is two-thirds of the way through her pregnancy, and an angel comes to Mary. Now, how do angels usually appear? Usually, as we find in Scripture, they would appear like a person. And what startled her was not the appearance of the angel. The text tells us what startled her was what the angel said unto her. And so I think we're very safe to say that, so here's Mary, she's in Nazareth, she's preparing for getting married, and an angel comes to her, and it's when the angel says, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. She was troubled at his saying. Why was she troubled, and why did she cast in her mind what kind of salutation this would be? Because she wasn't thinking that she was some special person beyond everyone else. She was thinking, I'm just Mary. I'm just a poor girl who's engaged. And the scriptures say that he says, the angel says to her, you're going to conceive, you're going to bring forth a son, you will name him Jesus. Now, do you remember, what did the angel, the same angel six months earlier, tell Zacharias when he was in the, uh, in the temple? He said, you will have a son, you will name his, you will, you will name that son John. Zacharias struggled with how this was going to take place. Mary's response was just, okay, but I've kept myself pure. What we're finding about Mary was Mary was a girl who just did what Scripture said. She wanted to be obedient to Scripture. She was already engaged, and her response back was, Okay, I don't know how this is going to be. And the Bible tells us it would not be through a man. It would be through the seed of the woman. Well, the Bible never talks about it that way. Why? Because God himself was going to give her this child. I don't know if you've ever thought about how much of Mary's features did Jesus have? You know, often when you see a, a, a new baby... You know, we've got Sadie here this morning, and I've lost where she is. Is she even in here right now, or maybe is she out? So, you know, and what, what, usually what do people say? Oh, you look like your dad. You look like your mom. You look like your little brother. I cannot have, I have no idea who you look like. You know, I mean, you've, you've got all the above. What did Jesus look like? Who would he look like? You know, it's... It's always a joy as a parent to, to know that your children kind of look 
kind of like you. I mean, you don't want them to pick up all the traits, obviously, but, but you would really like for them to have something that they pass on. They look the same, kind of. And so here is Mary, and she just says, Lord, be it unto me as you've spoken. And the Bible, Luke tells us that immediately then, she went to see her relative, um, Elizabeth and Zacharias. And again, I had a photo album. She's here, and she's here. She teleported, right? But do you know it's almost 90 miles from Nazareth down to Hebron, which is where Elizabeth was, traveling alone as a girl? Cindy and I were talking about that. That's a dangerous, dangerous journey. I mean, it's through those same passages that Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and no one said, oh, that would never happen. Everyone said, oh, yeah, that's what happens all the time. Robbers are along the way, and yet Mary, because she was told by the angel that Elizabeth is going to have a baby, Mary said, okay, I guess this is where I should go. And so she goes 90 miles and what we don't know is this. If you were to pick up the text that uh, Brother Gary read for us this morning in Matthew chapter 1, what do we know happened? We know that while, in fact, let's just turn to that so that you see the same thing that I'm talking about. In Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, we read, now this is the way Jesus' birth took place. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. How did Joseph find out about Mary? I wrestled with that. Because the angel didn't come and tell Joseph until after they already knew that Mary was pregnant. Did she tell Joseph? If someone told you that, what would you believe? Honey, I love you. I'm pregnant. You're brokenhearted. Only one Messiah in the whole world. One Messiah. It's not like this happened regularly and, and Joseph could talk to some other guys where this had happened to them. Mary, are you sure? How did this happen? Mary tells him. Mary travels 90 miles away. When my kids were engaged, not Zach. When my kids were engaged, they spent a lot of time on the phone. When I was engaged, I spent a lot of time in front of a piece of paper. And I wrote to my wife, and I'd write to my wife, and I'd write to my wife. How did Joseph communicate with Mary this whole time? I don't know. I don't know if he could. I just want you, to, I want you to realize for a moment, Mary goes from this, I have been selected by God to bear the Messiah. 
And shortly after the euphoria of that, the reality of that kicks in. Nobody is going to understand. Nobody's going to understand. Everyone's going to talk about this. Everyone's going to have their opinions, and it won't be the truth. And there's nothing she can do to change that. Now, at first, nobody's going to know except for Joseph. And I'm filling in a blank there, but I believe she told it. Because I don't know how else he would be struggling with this. And there's really no way that he could know that early. She goes to Hebron, about 90 miles south. And it's through the mountains. There's no direct path unless she went all the way to the coast and then came down and came back. I don't know how she did it. I'm assuming she went the direct route. Her community was not going to understand. And that is Mary's background. That's what we know. Now, I want you to think about Mary and the child for just a moment. We're going to look at Mary and the child. We're going to look at Mary and the Christ. And then we're going to look at Mary and the church. Because I think each of those are important for us as we think about Mary this morning. So there's this stranger who comes to Mary. Mary was devoted to God. We know Scripture tells us multiple times she was a virgin. She says she was a virgin. This happened six months after the conception of John. And we know she was a girl who was careful with the gift of her purity. You know, in every society, there's always been those who have really cherished purity. And if I could just speak to you unmarried folk here today, could I just encourage you, purity is precious. Purity is not an old-fashioned term. Purity is the best thing you can bring into your marriage. And no matter what stage you're in right now, the best thing you can do is from this day forward, be pure. If you say, I've already made some mistakes, from this day forward, just commit, I'm going to be pure. The greatest gift you can give to your spouse. I wish we could take some time and just talk about that this morning. I don't know how many couples that, I've, that I work with, and they're, they're having trust issues, and they're struggling in their marriages, and it's because they didn't keep themselves pure with each other before they got married. And then later in their marriage, they begin to struggle because they begin to wonder, can I trust this person? You say, oh, no, no, no. I was, I was always pure with everyone except for you, and I was engaged to you or I was going to marry you. But in the back of your mind, you always wonder, well, if this could happen with us before we got married, couldn't it happen again? The best thing you can always do is keep yourself pure. If you find yourself in a situation where you've not been that way, the best thing you can do is start right now and be pure. And if, if there were problems in your past with your spouse, maybe before you got married, the best thing to do is just address it and say, you know, honey, I loved you then, I love you now. We did some things we should not have done, and I, I, it creates a trust issue for you, and I'm sorry, will you forgive me? address it. Here you got Mary and Joseph. Mary didn't break her vows. Mary was pure. And Mary, God looks at her 
And I want you to notice back now in Luke chapter 1, she was highly favored, not worshipped. Verse 28, Luke chapter 1, verse 28. <clears throat> he says, Hail thou, art thou uh, that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Verse 30, Fear not, thou hast found favor with God. God chose to act graciously with Mary. She was given a special honor. She was a usable vessel, but she was never a person to be worshipped. She was a person to be imitated. It would, good, it would be good to be like a Mary. You think of all the ladies in her, in her lineage, and you begin thinking, what were those ladies like? And Mary seemed to have just been learning and learning, and she was someone that we would love to know. She's someone we would like to be around. I want you to think about this, you know, the fact that she was honored but not worshipped. When the wise men came in Matthew chapter 2, what did we learn? They worshipped Jesus. They didn't worship Mary. But now I want you to notice the danger. I've mentioned to you Mary was chosen by God to be the mother of Jesus. The angel announced the conception. The angel identified that it would be the Messiah. In Luke chapter 1, verse 32, he shall be great, he shall be the son of the highest, he shall be of the throne of David, verse 33, he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, verse 33, his kingdom will have no end, verse 35, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you, the power of, the, of God shall overshadow you, verse 35, and the baby born shall be the son of God. And Mary's sweet response was humility and submission. Be it unto me according to thy word. And then she sang. Verse 47, I want you to notice. My spirit hath rejoiced in God. Notice those next two words. My Savior. Mary knew she was a sinner. The sinlessness of Mary is not true. She knew she needed a Savior and she was looking forward to this. In Leviticus chapter 12, uh, we're going to find Leviticus chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, being fulfilled in her life in Luke chapter 2. Um, on Wednesday night, we studied verses 1 through 20 of Luke chapter 2. This next week, we're going to study uh, verse 21 through 52. And here's the thing I want you to notice about that. They went for his circumcision on the eighth day. They went back to the temple on the 40th day for her purification. What does that tell you about Mary? If they went for her purification, she couldn't be spotless. An important thought, just keeping in your mind. The goal is not to be argumentative. The goal is not to win an argument. The goal is just to let people see who Mary was. Paul refers to... This in Galatians 4, 4, that, he, that uh, Jesus was made of a woman. You know, this doctrine is often attacked today, either that Mary was sinless or that Jesus could not have been spotless. And they'll say in Isaiah chapter 7, where it says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive... I don't know if you've ever heard the argument. Well, what the word really means is a young woman shall conceive. Any of you ever heard that? 
The reality is, that's what the word is in Isaiah. It means a young woman shall conceive. But if we just leave it at that, we've missed the whole point. How many young, how many young women in the world have had babies? A whole lot of them. What would make this young woman unique? She would conceive and he would be God. She would be a virgin. And that's why that, that distinction is so important. Don't be thrown off by that if, if someone would mention that. We know that Joseph didn't understand her. And we know in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph struggled in his heart. What should he do? The tension for this couple was great while they were doing what God called them to do. And it appears that God did not tell Joseph right away. While he was mulling in his mind, what should I do? He could take her publicly to court. He could say that she was immoral. And because the, the uh, engagement was binding, he could have had her stoned. And he would have been the one to throw the first stone. I can't imagine Jeff and Evie having to go through thoughts like that. But they're so fresh in my mind, seeing their love for each other, and then realizing this is what Mary and Joseph were going through. And Joseph, loving her, yet knowing, I can't marry this girl who's been immoral, said, I'm just going to get a couple witnesses, and I'm going to divorce her. And we'll just do it privately, and it'll just go away. And he's been mulling this over in his mind and mulling this over in his mind. And it's at that point, and I believe, based on what we read about when Mary left Elizabeth's house, I believe God allowed him to think about this for maybe two months. Because we read, she went and she stayed with Elizabeth until right before John was born. And we read in Matthew that as soon as the angel came to Joseph, Joseph left, traveled 90 miles, and got married. That, that's why in my mind, as I'm putting together a timeline, I see that God allowed Joseph to really wrestle with what will I do until finally the angel came to him and the angel said, you're going to name his name Jesus. He's going to save their people from their sins. And you can be confident Mary is what she said she was. Interestingly enough, being a priest, Zacharias, when, when Mary came, Zacharias should have been the one to denounce her. But wasn't it very kind of the Lord that everything that Zacharias had been through, Mary could tell her story? The angel came to me. The angel said, I'm going to have a baby. The angel said, his name's going to be Jesus. And Zacharias could say, I believe you. You are pure. So we come to the manger. And you just think about these trips. So Mary makes a trip 90 miles down. Now she's three months pregnant. They go back up. Then they make a trip back down to Bethlehem, 80 miles. And 
Jesus was probably born, and, and this doesn't make sense, but Jesus was probably born in 4 BC. We would say four years before Christ. We say, well, how can that be if he was born in 4 BC? It should be zero, right? The reality was we know that Herod the Great died in 4 BC. So, I'm, I'm sorry, did I? So Jesus was probably born in 6 BC because um, if Herod died in 4 BC and Herod had all the children two years old and younger killed, that would back it up to about 6 BC. And you say, well, how did we end up with that? Well, there was a Roman uh, monk named Dionysus Exegus who in AD 533 established our numbering system and he didn't have access to the things we have today. He didn't know the exact dates. So don't let that trip you up. But just know Jesus was probably born in about six because he had to have been born before Herod died. Because Luke tells us when Herod died, they made the trip back. So hopefully that, that just a little side note there. Also, it's interesting, why would the shepherds have been in the field watching their flocks? They didn't do that all the time. They did it during lambing time or you know, when I was in Iowa, we'd call it calving season. Well, lambing time was in the spring. So probably in 6 BC, in the spring, is when this took place. Um, so they make this 70 to 80 mile trip now through graded elevations. Nazareth is at 1050 feet. The valley is at 285. Bethlehem is at 244. Uh, I'm sorry, 2,440. So you go from 1,050 down to 285, back up to 2,440, and that's how they traveled through the hill country. We find when Jesus was born, he was worshiped by the angels in Luke chapter 2. If you want to look at the familiar passage, what we would often call the Christmas passage, and suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The angels worshipped him. Verses 15 and 16 we read, The shepherds said, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. The shepherds came and worshipped. This coming Wednesday we're going to study Simeon. When he worshiped in verses 25 through 35, and Anna worshiped in verses 36 through 38. But in the middle of all this, we're told that Mary is going to endure a lot of hardship. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul. How would that be for a mom? Congratulations on your baby but your soul's going to be pierced. You're going to hurt. Then we read, there is the time where the eight days for the circumcision, the 40 days for the purification, and Luke says at that point, then they went back to Nazareth. Matthew inserts chapter 2, which tells us um, it appears that Joseph and Mary, having talked with uh, Anna, having talked uh, with, and I just went blank on his name, Simeon, they stayed in Bethlehem. So now Joseph is a man who 
has had to change jobs. I, did they have a union hall? I don't know. You know, where did he go? How did he get a job? How did he provide for his wife? We don't know. Again, my photo albums were somewhat incomplete. I just had this happy guy and this happy girl, and they had this happy baby, and they had these happy people that were all excited for them. But it was it was definitely hills and valleys. Knowing what was knowing that God had promised, knowing what was going to happen, seeing people excited for them, seeing what was going to take place. And we read that the wise men came. Jesus was less than two years old. Now think about this next trip. They went to Egypt. Got anything in your mind there from where they were in Bethlehem to go to Egypt? Let's say you wanted to go to the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport. And you were going to walk. That's not as far. Or let's say you were going to walk to Bismarck and back. That's about the distance. Are you thinking, wow, this maybe isn't nearly as much fun as what it seemed like? I mean, Mary and Joseph taking this big trip and realizing these are just two people who are doing what God says, and it seems like when you do what God says, aren't you always going to be blessed and everything goes your way, right? Isn't that the way it always works? You do what God says, and you're honest, and you do exactly however God has led you to do, and if you go where God leads you to do, and you do what God leads you to do, everything always turns out great, doesn't it? Hmm. Mary sure doesn't show us that. You got Joseph, that doesn't seem to show us that. Then, Herod doesn't live a whole lot longer. So now they've gone to Egypt, and now it's time to come back. And I don't know if they came all the way. I, I'm, my guess is, because the angel warned them about who was going to be in the Judea area, which is down here, and Egypt's way down here. I'm guessing they took the trade routes up along the water and then came across, which would save them probably about 40 miles than if they had come through Jerusalem again and back over the top. And it's flat land, kind of like here. They've made that trip. And we've talked about Mary and the baby. And that's kind of the Christmas area that we talk about. But as we focus on Mary, the person today, I want you to realize the transition was taking place because Mary was caring for a baby. But then, Mary was living with the Christ. And in Luke chapter 2, we read when he was 12, when he was becoming a man, and his parents, as they did every year, took him back down to Jerusalem again, 60 miles now, maybe 70, depending on how the trek was. This year... They left and Jesus didn't go with them. You remember the story, but stop and think for a moment, what was happening at this moment? Jesus, as a man, said, why didn't you understand I would be about my father's business? Now, he went home with them, and the scriptures don't tell us anything more about his growing up years until he turned 30. But it's an important thing for us to remember because... Mary already was, she was given this snapshot when, when the baby was born. 
Your soul's going to be pierced. This is the Messiah. People are going to reject him. But more than that, this is God come in the flesh. At what point does the mother part of this relationship change to the worshiper part of this relationship? And you as moms, you've seen this happen in your families when your son starts getting about 12, or if you haven't yet, you're going you're gonna to see it. When your children start hitting this, this early teenage, teenage years and they become a man, and your relationship with your child begins to change, and as a heart, as a mother, your heart is going, what happened? And that's exactly what was happening here. And Mary, each time, there's this interesting phrase where Mary saw what took place and she thought about it. She spent time and she thought about it. Her Mary with now the Christ, the response is, you know, a good mother attends to the needs of her child. And Mary, as a mother, was an excellent mother. And I would suggest to you that Mary and Joseph really had some interesting things that they did in their home. One of, them, one of them was they taught their children scripture. Um, one of the commentators mentioned, and again, I tried to research it to see, is it possible to, to track down all of this? The book of James was written by the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. In those five chapters, you have more allusions to scripture than in any other section of scripture in such a compact time. How is it that James, the brother of Jesus, would also know so much scripture? It appears that Joseph and Mary were very diligent as parents. It's a wonderful thing, a wonderful encouragement. But you find Mary as a mother, but then all of a sudden things go blank until we come to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we have Mary in Cana. Jesus' first public miracle. So when people say, when Jesus was a baby, he was, and as a boy, he was always running around doing things. He was healing bunnies, and he was causing things to grow, and doing all kinds of things. No, he wasn't, because the scripture tells us specifically when he was 30 in, in uh, Cana of Galilee was the first time he did his, uh, a miracle. So he does, he, he's there. It appears Mary was part of the planning committee for that, because the scriptures tell us Jesus and his disciples were invited. It never tells us that Mary was invited. So Mary, and that's how she could see way ahead of time, we're going to run out of beverages. So she goes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, we're going to run out of beverages. And Jesus's response was not son to mother. Jesus's response was God to worship her. And he said, I'm on a time frame for my father. He wasn't, he wasn't impolite. He wasn't disrespectful, but he was, again, letting her know, and I think more importantly, letting us know. Mary was not the miracle worker. Mary is not the one we pray to to get things done. And what did she say? I'm out of this. You guys, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. You notice how she's out of this now? It's an important thing for us as we're looking at doctrine and we realize Mary is not the one that, that you go in between with. A change that Mary recognized. If we were to go to Matthew chapter 13, we're going to see the same thing. Now Jesus is in his ministry. Jesus is in Peter's house. Jesus is, is healing people. The religious crowd is coming. They're saying he's doing it by the power of Satan. They're saying he is, he is not... Um, 
trustworthy, and, Jesus, and Mary and his siblings, the scripture says. Interestingly, Mark says, is not this Jesus the carpenter? And Matthew 13 says, is not this Jesus Joseph the carpenter's son? So we know Jesus was a carpenter. We know that his dad, his stepdad was a carpenter. And we know that Jesus had brothers. Again, the perpetual virginity of Mary couldn't happen. Why is that? Well, he had four brothers and sisters. Don't know how many sisters he had. Mary was a wonderful mother. They came to rescue Jesus out of that and say, Jesus, you need to take a break. Jesus, you need to. And what was Jesus' response again? Those who believe are my family. Again, he was not rejecting, he, he was not being unkind to Mary, but what he was saying was, Mary no longer has a part in what's going on here. The last snapshot that we ever see of Jesus and Mary is at Calvary. And I've always pondered on this one in, in John chapter 19. Jesus from the cross looks at Mary and looks at John and says, John, behold your mom. Mom, behold your son. And it says, and they left that very hour. And then we read all the things that Jesus did while he hung on the cross. Why do you think Scripture tells us specifically that Jesus sent Mary away from the cross? We could say, well, he was a kind son. He didn't want his mom to go through that. But have you ever heard of the fact that she is a co-redeemer with Jesus Christ? In fact, if you look at some paintings, you'll see... Mary is standing there in front of the cross, outstretched, and it looks as if she was on the cross with him. Jesus, once again, was reminding us, Mary had nothing to do with your redemption. Jesus. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. It's Jesus. The tendency is we have glorified Mary, so then what do we do? We almost minimalize Mary, and we want to just not have anything to do with Mary so that we don't put her back up on this pedestal. We shouldn't put Mary on the pedestal of being God, but God himself says, Mary's blessed. Mary's special. Mary is someone we can learn from. But that's not the last mention of Mary. We've talked about Mary and the child Jesus. We've talked about Mary at the cross. Now I want you to notice Mary with the church. And if you would turn with me over to Acts chapter 1. It would be an interesting story for you if you wanted to read it yourself. You can go back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you'll look and see which Mary was it that discovered that Jesus rose again. It wasn't Mary, the mother of Jesus. Why? Again, I believe Scripture is very clear because it wanted us to know Mary had nothing to do with Jesus' resurrection. Some groups will tell you they so honored Mary that she is now the queen of heaven. Let me, let me just direct you to 
Acts chapter 1, verse 14. This is after the ascension of Jesus Christ. They're all there waiting for the Holy Ghost, which was promised. And it says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Here's what I want you to notice. The last mention of Mary is when she was gathered with the apostles and with her own other children, and they were praying. Notice they were not praying to Mary. They were praying with Mary. And so as we look at this incredible lady, and if we could just add in husband at this point as well, you've got Joseph, a man who took his responsibilities seriously. He was going to be the stepdad of the Messiah. And you've got Mary who took her responsibilities seriously as the mother of the Messiah. Some have said, well, she gave birth to God. No, she gave birth to the Son of Man. The Son of God was alive way before then. What do we learn from Mary's life? And here, let me just give this to you in summary. Along with blessing and opportunity comes sorrow. Don't be surprised when you do the right thing if you are misunderstood. Don't be surprised if heartache comes into your life There are costs for being prepared and being willing to serve. Mary's name means sorrow or bitterness, and she experienced those things within the will of God. I want you to notice Mary was submissive to the Holy Spirit. She was willing to do God's plan, even when it meant hardship. And if I could just, as a pastor, reach out to some of you this morning. Some of you have gone through some great hardship. And your, your heart has been hurt. Could I just encourage you with this? God still loves you. God still has a plan for you. And in fact, in serving right now, while you are serving the Lord here on earth, there may be hardships that are going to come. Would you just be willing to let the Holy Spirit use you?